Manx Made, supported by IOMfoodanddrink.com. Hello and welcome to Manx Made, a three-part island life series with me, Michelle James. We'll be uncovering some of the island's most exciting food and drink products from salt to rum to ice cream. Let's go behind the scenes and find out exactly what goes into making these Manx-made products. A big thank you to IOMfoodanddrink.com for supporting the series. On tonight's episode, we discover how to make salt on the Isle of Man using only seawater, sun and wind. Inspired by the pull of the sea, Helen Crosby of IOM Salt Co. became a self-proclaimed master of salt when discovering the potential on the Isle of Man to make very special sea salt. We moved over here just over six years ago now and having lived and worked in the hospitality industry for a long time in France, um, was kind of keen to kind of do something food related, I guess, when we came here and just doing a lot of research on the island, seeing what opportunities were available and just realized that it was just such an amazing product that nobody made here. And I just thought, you know, what an incredible thing to really showcase the sea, the marine nature reserve that surrounds us. It's, you know, it's, it's an amazing product that will really put the Isle of Man on the map. Did you instantly fall on salt as the kind of the big light bulb moment? Or was there a process before you, before you found that? There was a little bit of a process. I think coming from, yeah, like a, a chefing type background, I kind of, you know, considered maybe doing other options. I kind of researched maybe cake baking, but saw that it was obviously like a great kind of trade for that here already. Um, trialed and uh, a pasta product as well for a while, thinking maybe that could be a goer. But I think there was just something about the pull of the sea, like living opposite there every day. And I would just see this massive water out there and this beautiful coastline. I just I just saw it as a real opportunity, really, and just thought, yeah, why not? Let's give it a go. So you're in lockdown and you're, you're, you're heading on out and visiting the beaches we kind of all were craving a little bit of nature how did it all piece together so yeah so it was like like our daily exercise walks really so literally we would leave the house um all together as a family we'd walk across the road kids would take their buckets and uh, you know we kind of head on across the beach opposite uh, george our youngest would just stand there for an hour throwing stones into the water hetty would be in her own little magical world and I would just literally be staring at the salt forming in these kind of these rock pools, thinking like, why don't we do this? So we did just start one day and the kids just carried buckets of water back from the beach, carried it back to the house. Uh, and we just started boiling water in pans. And that's, that's really how it was born and just trialed loads of different processes, did a lot of late night research, uh, ruined a lot of pans um, and finally kind of managed to make this product and had these gorgeous sparkly crystal flakes and I just couldn't quite believe it that we managed to to do it from this process so yeah so it was just it literally just started. And then how did you journey from ruined pans all over your kitchen to what where we are today? It has been quite a journey there's been like a lot of helping hands along the way I, I definitely haven't done it solo there's been you know friends and family and amazing creatives on the Isle of Man that have helped me along the way um government help obviously as well um you know DEFA the food and drink department have been a great support too um so yeah so it just started and it kind of snowballed really so I had these initial kind of 10 first jars that I'd made uh, and then thought, yeah, let's let's think of a name, um, let's think of a logo, and it, it just kind of like snowballed on from there, really. And then, you know, we've expanded, I've expanded the range to make a couple of different salt blends now, and a salted caramel sauce using 
the creamery products and um, there's just so much scope for it to go forward as well. You know, there's a lot more, a lot more to come. The salted caramel salt. I mean, that is another kind of avenue as well, isn't it? It is, yeah. Was that just a trial and error? I just kind of thought of all the possibilities you could, you could use for this salt product. And it's, it is endless, really, because salt is, is such a staple, you know, like it, 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 in terms of history, it kind of goes way back. You know, it was kind of used as currency back in the day when, when soldiers were paid in salt. Um, it's just, it's always been kind of linked to our lives, I think. And, and I think falling back, there was obviously like a salt trade back in the day, over 100 years ago on the Isle of Man, which, you know, kind of died out, I think, with the introduced, introduction of chemical salt production in the UK and around the world that made it no longer viable to do here. Um, so that's obviously a, re a really interesting link as well. But I think now, um, lockdown in particular, just really made me think about kind of just making everything a lot more simple. And, I, and, and that's where it came from as well, really, wanting to make a product that we could make here on the Isle of Man. We don't need to ship it in from anywhere. We can, and we can have this product that will, will showcase the wonderful waters that surround us and, and the beautiful island that's here. You know, we can really put, put the place on the map with it. So key to your model is sustainability and how that is core in the whole production process. How does that all add up? So yeah, initially, after ruining a lot of pans and <laughs> eating them on the hob, um, it became apparent that you know we were using a lot of energy to, to do this process to make the salt really, and and that something quite did sit very comfortably with me, and I, I, I didn't really want to be kind of using that much electricity or gas or whatever it was the process that we were kind of in researching. Um, so I started to kind of look um, at other ways that it was made around the world, really. And there are a couple of countries that are already doing this process using solar power uniquely to make a sustainable solar salt. They obviously do it in the Mediterranean really successfully because they have amazing weather. So they have these beautiful open salt pans that just evaporate naturally. But we're not blessed with that kind of climate here. But we do have amazing summers where we can use harness the power of the sun and the wind, obviously, um, too to kind of use um, a polytunnel just to evaporate the salt water. So that's the journey, really. It kind of started using all of those traditional processes, I guess, of heat evaporation. But um, I quickly kind of found that we could do it just as a seasonal production using just the energy that comes from the sea and the sky. And you mentioned the way that the Isle of Man used to have quite a strong salt trade. Is that the kind of method that would have been used in the past? I think so, yeah. I think um, I only have a little bit of research about it, but from the reading that I've done, I think there was like a rock salt bed and probably still is like in the north of the island that they discovered. And I think in the early 1900s, they um, would kind of have like a traditional mining process where they would pump the brine out into the salt pans up in the north of the island in Ramsey, I think. And they had salt pans that they would heat using fossil fuels, so coal, you know, in these kind of huge, big iron, cast iron pans and, and boil it away and make kind of more refined white salt that they mainly used for preserving fish. I think it was like a big kind of fish trade industry thing for exporting. Um, and I think that process just gradually died away um, as the years went on. And um, Scotland became a really big producer, Ireland as well, and the UK, you know, the England as well. So I think the Isle of Man probably just, it was just an industry that just died out. And you've taken a lot of inspiration from other similar processes across the world. And New Zealand is one that you've kind of really pulled on and New Zealand must have quite a similar environment as as we find on the Isle of Man yeah they do so there's a, there's a guy producing salt in this way in New Zealand so he's been kind of mentoring me um 
helping me kind of do set up my production and um, it's a really similar climate so they kind of make the opportunity uh, take the most of the weather that they have during their summer season out there which is very similar to the climate that we have here um, and it just kind of runs over that six month period and yeah it's it, it, it's it works it's, it's a system that works so I'm just yeah super excited to kind of trial it here so explain to me we're going to head down to the to the polytunnel number number two kind of there's bigger future plans which we'll talk about a little bit later in the program but what exactly can we can we expect to see in terms of process I mean I, I know we are in November now so it might be something quite different to when we see it in in April time that's right so the, the polytunnel is set up so we have um like a food safe pond liner basically that kind of lines the whole of the polytunnel uh, and it's sectioned into various pools um, so what we've been doing throughout the spring and summer months is filling up, um, we filter the water into a big bowser, uh, bring that back, we refilter it back into the polytunnel. Uh, and it's been a process over the summer that takes anything between three, four, five weeks to fully evaporate. Um, and it's a, an amazing process. It really is quite magical. Um, I remember just the first time I saw it happening and you can see the salt <laughs> flakes forming. I was like, wow, this is like, it's incredible. And so once they're kind of starting to form, um, I then rake them up and then leave them to dry out again for another week or so. Um, and that's it. That's really as simple as it is. And it, then it goes into the jars or, or into the salt blends. And, and it's literally water from the sea, right? <laughs> literally water from the sea. <laughs> literally just water. Yes, we, we take the water from Derby Haven at the moment um, because we have it tested there by the government. And it is um, a marine nature reserve. The access is really easy. It's kind of it's such a beautiful space down at Derby Haven. There's an amazing array of seaweeds and wildlife. And it's almost like the water is kind of naturally filtered throughout those rocks and, and the seaweed as we take it. Um, yeah, and it's literally just kind of just dripped back into the, into the polytunnel. Um, and within a few weeks, you have that kind of pure sea salt flake product. And is it quite a manual labor to kind of get it to that point? I mean, water is heavy, right? It's heavy. We have like a, a lot of um, trailer driving trained people on deck on hand to help us get the water here. See, I'm picturing in buckets, like you put yeah. your bucket in space. It was, in the early days, it was literally me carrying buckets of, you know, kind of like 20 kilos of water at a time, but you know, no workout needed yeah. on those days. Um, but yeah, we have a bit more of a, um, an upscaled um, system now, which is a little bit easier. So we just have a pump that pumps it in. Um, but yeah, the early days were very much like that. They were literally just carrying buckets of, um, of water up the hill. We ventured out of HQ and down to Secret Beach, where Helen first had the light bulb moment and IOM Salt Co. was born. The Secret Beach off Port St Mary, we call it. So this was our little lockdown haven. So this is where we would head every day for our kind of little hourly exercise. And yeah, we'd just come and hang out down here with the kids. And um, just, yeah, the, the, I mean, the scenery, as you can see, it's just absolutely stunning. And kind of, as I was saying before, when we first moved here and I, I just first saw that coastline and that, that headland up there, I was just really blown away and just thought, how incredibly lucky are we to live here? It's just absolutely stunning. And it's quite it's quite breezy today. Is the tide's out? Is that right? Yeah. So this is uh, yes, yeah, pretty much low tide, I think. Um, but when the tide does come in, and you can see the kind of line of the seaweed here, the waves really do crash right up up there when it's when it's breezy. And where would you start to see the salt form when you when you're first kind of discovering 
the idea. So there's like little rock pools that run around the sides here, all the way up around to Perwick Bay as well, all on the side. And you just see like this kind of higher pools where waves do crash when it's stormier. And then when the sun comes out in the following days, you can just see the kind of salt forming around the edges. But it's not something that we would find now in November, really. It's not really the right time of year. Yeah, you're kind of looking spring, summertime, really. But, you know, we can, we can head around there and have a look and see what we can find. Awesome, let's do it. Now, we didn't get much in the way of salt formation on the rock pools in November, but I did get a look in the polytunnel they've been using where the salt forms. As you can see here, so yes, we've got the polytunnel in the garden and um, we have a food safe pond liner which lines the whole base of the tunnel and it's divided up into seven pools at the moment. So um, what we've been doing, we're pumping the water back in, filtering it back in um, and then, yeah, just it's a waiting game really then. So it takes a a period of time, kind of three to four weeks. Once the crystals start forming, then you kind of rake them out um, and then again leave them to dry for a couple of weeks. And when you say the wind, helps how how so the wind helps with the drying process um not so much with the evaporation because that's really heat based so in those summer months when the sun is at its highest that's when you kind of get to the kind of 45 50 55 degree temperatures inside the tunnel which is peak evaporation rate um the wind comes in really once we've raked up the salt um and then we open up the end doors of the tunnel and the wind literally just whistles through there and and, and kind of helps that drying process even further so yeah so we use both the sun and the wind to do it and it doesn't blow all the salt away (laughs) it doesn't no no not yet we haven't haven't lost any salt in that process but yeah and when you think of a polytunnel you just you just don't think about what we what we can see right now you think of of vegetables even though you're not doing anything to do with vegetables (laughs) that's right yeah it's it was quite a surprise to me really when I first came across the idea and thinking wow yeah it's like it's a polytunnel that essentially has been used for years and years and years to grow agricultural stuff and it's just filling it with water to do the same process yeah harness that energy from the sun to evaporate the water a really interesting process to see and learn about with helen from iom salt co they have really exciting expansion plans for next season so do keep an eye out and helen gifted me with a very special salt a collaboration with red my farm a chili salt It's very, very yummy. And my eggs on toast have never tasted the same since. Next, I caught up with A.D. Moore, head of IOM Food and Drink, to understand the real potential of what products made on the Isle of Man can have. By adding one locally produced item of food or drink into your basket will make a big difference to our local food producers. Well, I think we're very lucky on the Isle of Man. Uh, I don't think we necessarily appreciate what we've got. But at the end of the day, food around the world is part of a country's um, a culture, I think. Uh, and it's just the same in the Isle of Man. So we have lots of fantastic products. We're a rural community at the end of the day, so lots of farmers here, lots of uh, work on farms and lots of uh, product coming out of those farms, whether that be meat or vegetables or 
uh, uh, whatever, uh, and uh, drinks as well. Obviously, we're producing quite a lot of drinks. I think that's really important for the culture of the Isle of Man. Uh, it gives us connection. I think in many cultures, people meet around food as well, around meet- meal times, or when you meet your friends, you you tend to meet in restaurants or something like that. So uh, I think food's a really really impo- uh, important part of uh, of culture, and particularly in the Isle of Man. And what makes Isle of Man food and drink products special? I think there's a great um, a great history of innovation um, and keeping things real. So we really appreciate uh, the quality of the produce that we have here. Our environment is uh, world class. It's spectacular, as you know. Um, we, we're not short of rain, which um, is is really useful in lots of cases when you're trying to uh, grow things. Um, and our, and our, and our, our, our climate's quite moderate, really, quite temperate, really. Uh, so we don't really get the very high extremes of, of weather. Uh, and that creates the environment, which is really, really good uh, for uh, either growing things, uh, but also uh, developing products that have uh, unique uh, characteristics terroir if you like as they, they talk about in in wine making uh, you can taste where the products come from I think we've got you know our meat products are absolutely superb um, um, a lot of our vegetables again uh, are really really high quality uh, and then there's the passion within the people here uh, to do something differently um, I think there's a lot of creativity on the Isle of Man. Uh, obviously, in, in radio, you get the opportunity to meet a lot of these uh, people, and I'm very lucky to work with them on a on a daily basis. And as you mentioned, the Isle of Man in itself has such a history of 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 producing food, and farming primarily, and but actually. What I've learned is, you know, things like salt. We used to have a massive salt production here, mm. and so how. In now in the in the twenty first century, do you see those kind of historical values being recreated and, and modernised? I think I think food culture is changed significantly, and I think since lockdown, people have become a lot more aware. There was a, a, a lot of interest around the world in getting back to eating local. I think, and, and the Isle of Man was no different. But um, I think people's eating culture has changed. People are much more interested in where their food has come from, uh, and and if and if they can learn about who actually made it or grew it or caught it for uh, for you know our fishing industry is fantastic. The fact is that you know ninety five percent of everything we catch here is exported. Um, but in lockdown, people suddenly realised that actually we live in we're, we're an island in the middle of the sea, and we've got a, a fishing fleet. Uh, and so people were picking up lobster and crab and and queenies and scallops and all sorts and 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 fin fish to a certain extent were being caught, and people were, were a demand was uh, created in the Isle of Man for that. Uh, so I think the sea is a is a fantastic resource for us. There are more things that we can do with that uh, beyond just traditional uh, fishing and. Uh, and shellfish, uh, and uh, and and sea salt is obviously uh, one of one of those great examples of uh, of something else that you can do with the sea. Uh, but uh, I've got I'm working on a few projects at the moment with other people who want to to use the uh, uh, use the sea as a as a place to harvest uh, other edibles, if you like, which mm. is really quite exciting. Mm. Where does the balance lie between? producing products for the people of the Isle of Man and producing products that have a life away from the island? Mm. That's always the challenge. So most businesses start in, um, traditional food businesses start in the home kitchen. 
um, uh, and that's the best way so people develop something and think actually this is great and they, they have all their friends and family try it and they go oh, it's great and then somebody one day says you should probably sell these um, so uh, they start and then they come to us so that this that kind of what the work that I do is to support businesses uh, from from startup to get them to try and get them to a, a position where they've got a product which is sufficiently scalable, has the right quality standards, has the right packaging, has the right branding, is attractive. They have the right skills to be able to run a business because running a business is much more than just making something that's really tasty. Um, you get into a situation where you end up running a production facility and probably hiring people and, and have a have to have a marketing budget and have to understand the regulation and everything else that goes along with food. So it's not, uh, you know, it's uh, m- most of these businesses start out as a bit of fun uh, and and a bit of passion but there's a lot of skill that you need to acquire um to actually get to a stage where um you're you're either dominating the isle of man market and that's kind of what i i I tend to do i work with businesses to try and help them to one uh, dominate the Isle of Man market, saturate the Isle of Man market. If they can do that, then they're probably then at a scale where they'll be big enough uh, and and bold enough to then go for export. Then that's a whole new kettle of fish. Is, is getting to a size where you can export your product off the Isle of Man and 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 be successful. And if you an example of of an Isle of Man product that that has successfully achieved that, yes. Um, Actually, there's a, there's a couple, well, two or three, actually. If we think about our drinks producers, our uh, Finodery and Outlier and uh, Keller distillers, uh, three great examples. Obviously, this is alcohol, so it's much easier to transport. It is heavy, um, so it can be quite expensive, but it's quite a high-value product as well. So that works because it has a very long shelf life. Um, and it's not perishable. Um, and uh, and those three businesses have got fantastic export. Um, Outlier relatively new and you went to speak to the guys um recently um uh, and and they talked about that as well so they 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 went to rumfest and we helped them to go to rumfest to to uh to, to exhibit their product there um and from that they've got lots and lots of, of interest in exporting off the isle of man which means that they will have to expand um their their uh, production facility and I'm there to help them. I help them to set up in the first place, and I'll be there to help them uh, wherever uh, you know th- this takes them. And once that product has gone off island, I mean, you can look at so many different places, but something that comes to my mind in terms of a comparable area is what Cornwall have done, and and how much tourism and sense of place and understanding of that area is that something that the isle of man are trying to achieve when they uh, when these exports are products of the isle of man going yeah of off course. island of course that would that that's that's a real dream and some places have done that very very successfully and have a very long history of that and are well known for their um, mm. their food and therefore create food tourism um, and I think that is something that we, we would definitely like to do. Some people do come here specifically for some of the products that we have. Manx Queenies are, you know, a protected designation of origin. Um, uh, Locked and lamb, you can't get that anywhere else, really. 
Um, so if they're, they're, they're things that you absolutely love, then they're, they're two products that are, are unique to the Isle of Man. But yeah, certainly um, uh, working with our friends at Visit Isle of Man as well, they recognise that. We have the Harvest Scheme, which uh, which recognises and, and, and puts awards into uh, uh, cafes and restaurants and things like that so people can see that they are supporters of local produce and they uh, they buy and use that in their in the recipes um, and that's obviously something we've got the food and drink festival which is an attraction every year we've got the two agricultural shows which we also support I mean we put the food and drink drink festival on as um, a DEFA event um, and we do hope that that gets to a stage where uh, and gets so well known that people will come and we are we do already get people from off island who come to the event but uh, there's probably an opportunity to scale that that more if there are any individuals entrepreneurs producers in waiting that are interested in creating products perhaps you've sparked some uh, ideas about creating accessible local food mm. how can they connect with IOM Food and Drink? There's a whole raft of support that's available to you. The first place to go would be uh, iomfoodanddrink.com. That's our website. That's our shop window, if you like, for local food and drink. You've been listening to Manx Made with me, Michelle James. Thanks again to iomfoodanddrink.com for supporting the series. You can listen back to the whole series of Manx Made online at manxradio.com. Manx Made, supported by IOMfoodanddrink.com. Add one locally grown or produced product to your basket when shopping. These small considerations can have a big, cumulative community effect and support our food and drink producers.